The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today I'm very excited because I'm going to learn about something I know nothing about. And we have the pleasure of interviewing all the way from Chattanooga, Tennessee, Janice Ryan, who's an expert in the field of multi-sensory environments. Welcome, Janice. Thank you, Hattie. Well, it's so great. You're the founder and director of Attunement Solutions, which is a leader in the neurodiversity movement you're going to tell us all about. Yes. And um, you're also the president of the American Association on Multisensory Environments. And one of my heroes, Dr. Rick Rader in Chattanooga, tells me she's in charge of our whole sensory program here at Orange Grove. <laughs> so, <laughs> Janice, welcome. Why don't you do a proper introduction of yourself and tell us who you are and what you're up to? Thank you. I appreciate it, Hacky. Um, I've been an occupational therapist for about 30 years, and I love working with people with sensory processing differences. Many neurodivergent people have sensory profiles that are extreme. So um, one of the OTs, well-known OTs, Winnie Dunn, created an assessment so that we can figure out which profile matches each person. When I'm working in a multi-sensory environment, I use those profiles. So right now, I'm at Orange Grove with Dr. Rader, and we're doing, um, setting up, hopefully, the first sensory-friendly center of excellence in the country. Um, I am working with a company named Sensory Health, and they are networking nationally to set up um, environments in medical and dental areas that are more sensory friendly because a lot of people with sensory sensitivities develop emotional triggers, trauma responses during childhood and early life to go into the dentist and the doctor. And so we're really trying to stop that from happening in the next generation and trying to help the people who've already developed those triggers to get over them as much as possible. Now, how did you get into multi-sensory environments? Well, that's a long story. I have um, always loved working with people with sensory differences. And I met, actually through Rick, I met uh, Linda Messbauer. And she is the therapist, the occupational therapist who brought multi-sensory environments over from the Netherlands. They're very, they're very established in that part of the world. And um, we've really never understood the science too well behind them until recently. And now we're understanding it a whole lot better because we're understanding through consciousness research and also mindfulness research, how the relaxation response works and how if you relax and get in that just right place so that you can learn, you can learn in a deep way and it's called social emotional learning or somatic learning. So it's that deep feeling in the body or that deep ability to connect with other people. And that's where attunement solutions came from too. Um, attunement is a word that comes from mindfulness research. I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel Siegel, 
but he's the one who started writing about mindful therapy. And um, I began practicing mindfulness in 2004 and apply that to my practice. Explain to our audience from your point of view, mindfulness, the way you're using the term. Well, it, that's a very interesting question because we, you know, everybody's talking about it now, therapists are using it, but unless you've practiced it, it's easy to kind of think of it in a more of a Western way. And if you practice mindfulness, you know that it has a whole lot to do with being able to stay calm during stressful situations. So it has a lot to do with being able to get over emotional triggers by living through potentially stressful things, but in a calm state. Mindfulness allows you to do that and the relaxation response allows you to do that. If you take somebody like me who recently got into it, when I learned that you don't have to sit for an hour with bells and chimes and I can just do a 10 minutes of some nice breathing with somebody talking on yes. a mindfulness app and just reset your brain and everything. Mm -hmm. You obviously are taking mindfulness and extrapolating it in, into the overall environment. Yes. The reason I love working with people in multi-sensory environments is because it's an environment that allows them to benefit from that same relaxation response that you ex have experienced when they normally couldn't have. Uh, you know, many times people with special needs, they really can't go through a mindfulness practice, but the environment sets them up for it because it relaxes them. So we use lights, we use music, we use the synchrony between those things to help them relax and breathe deeply and benefit from learning opportunities that we give them in treatment. Um, tell us about attunement solutions. Well, I began attunement solutions in 2018 and I had had a practice before and I really was more focused on human systems dynamics, which I'll tell you about too, um, at that point. And so it was named Human Systems Occupational Therapy. Attunement Solutions was an outgrowth of that because I began to apply a lot of the things that I had used with people with dementia to people with autism or PTSD. And because I had been exposed to mindfulness, I knew what I was doing was I was really working hard to have interpersonal synchrony or to, to help them feel that I was really connected with them in a positive way. And so attunement solutions, that, that's what attunement is, is that ability to be able to connect in that really supportive way. So attunement is, is something that parents use with their own kids. You know, when you know why they're crying, when they don't have to say why they're crying, that kind of thing. It's, it's a, a real close interpersonal connectedness. And then let's extrapolate from that on to the reach of the and purpose of the American Association on Multisensory Environments. So when Linda brought this over from the Netherlands, she was actually working with a severe and profound population and was using it. 
And I met her when I took a class at Orange Grove that Dr. Rader had sponsored and Orange Grove had sponsored. And she and I immediately had this connection because I was using mindfulness and I was using what they call implicit memory environments, which are, are like sensory sensory cues and motor cues. I was doing that in long-term care facilities. And we realized that we were doing a lot of the same things. And now it makes sense because what we know is that when that there's a consciousness shift, so a person can connect with their environment, they become more aware. And so she was facilitating that in the multisensory environments. And I was doing it in these implicit memory environments and we connected in that way. And that's when I joined the board. And then I became secretary and then I became vice president and finally the president. What do you think is the biggest roadblock to training practitioners in this field? I think the biggest roadblock is that it's, it's a challenge for people to understand the science if they have not learned about the importance of environment. For that reason, a lot of times now I use the words trauma-informed or trauma-informed design environment. So if the environment is established so that it allows a person to relax, it could also be called a trauma-informed designed environment. Trauma-informed. Okay. Um, and how can an uh, individual tell whether their environment, their environment is having a negative effect on them? Well, there's lots of anxiety responses. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I had a little boy that I saw who was seven. Very, very bright. Probably gifted intelligence. But he had, and when I gave him the 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 sensory profile. He had sensory sensitivity, sensory avoidance, and he was also a sensory seeker. And those three together, I mean, you don't, a lot of times you'll see a sensory avoidance and sensory sensitivity together, but a sensory seeker, that was a little bit different. So what I do in the environment is I help him to feel better about trying new things. He had anxiety. He was seven and was already on anxiety medicines. And so when I take him in there, what I would do would set up the environment so that he could feel good in that environment. He could feel engaged enough, but not overly engaged, not overly excited or anxious, relaxed in that just right space. And then I could use um, human systems dynamics models to help teach him to do hard things like how to tell his grandmother he doesn't like to be hugged. I mean, there are a lot of things when you have sensory sensitivity that you have to help kids learn how to do so they can be advocates for themselves. And thankfully his mom was a social worker and she always stayed in, in there with us. And so she became his advocate. And that is a really important part of this is helping them know what kind of environment feels good, what kind of environment feels bad, helping the family know, and so they can advocate and in the future. Because they're going to have environments that 
that don't feel comfortable. But on the other hand, we're all not meant to be surgeons <laughs> because some people just can't do that. I mean, can't can't concentrate in that environment and and deal with stresses of surgery. But they can function very well in other environments. So matching, you know, skills and abilities to environment is really very helpful. And it's really a, it's an extension of like why we started different brains because every brain is different. Right. right. <laughs> They're not one size fits all, whether you're talking about environments or anything else. And it's tough for us to realize that. Yes. And, and that's where the human systems dynamics piece comes in. So I'm also trained as a human systems dynamics professional. And we use models to help people think through. Like, for instance, I worked with a young uh, teenager and she was, um, I, I worked with her because she was having stress about her high school uh, days. You know, she was having all the, the usual high school stresses, but it was all more intense because she was on the spectrum. And when she would come, we would use the models of what, so what, you now what, go through adaptive action cycles. So she could talk about, well, this is what happened. So this is how it made me feel. And then we could talk about what she was going to do about it. Sometimes that's really helpful because you can pull out pictures, you can help them identify and figure out words to use. And so, again, I taught her mom to do that for her. And so all of it has to do with success in school. And it also has to do with success in work. And so, like, working with career development with neurodivergent people is something that I'm very interested in and I'm doing with Human Systems Dynamics Institute, we're talking about, we're setting up some trainings. I and another uh, professional that with Human Systems Dynamics Institute are setting up some trainings that can help people to problem solve and know the, the right kind of environment for them to look for jobs, ways to keep growing in it, ways to deal with the stresses of, of that environment. Yeah, it's it's important for all of us, really, and particularly people with sensory sensitivities. Tell us a bit about your work with Dr. Rick Rader. Well, I love Rick. He um, he is my mentor, and he he was actually the one. Of, I think he was the first president. He was on the founding board, and I think he was the first president of MC. So we've worked together in in that capacity um, since two thousand eight. And so I was a professor at um, UTC here in Tampa, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And then when I made a transition to a private practice, he and I kept in touch and to see my private practice. And then when I had the opportunity to, I moved over to Orange Grove. And so my practice is in Orange Grove. He's been there. Uh, Orange Grove has been there since 53, I think it is, 1953 is when it, it started. And um, you, they, they put in their first multi-century environment in 2005. So he's been a proponent of this and a supporter of this for a very long time. He's seen the benefits of it. And the, uh, the human system dynamics plays a big role in the individualized therapy, correct? Yes, yes, it does. The reason being... What I use is inquiry-based problem-solving models that allows the person to decide what they can do that day. They put the words to the model. So for instance, you know, 
if I'm working with one person on the spectrum, uh, I might um, be able to ask them to come up with their own words. And if I'm working with a different one, I might show them a picture of the different, the different emotion faces and have them pick, pick one out on that board. So, I mean, it, it allows the person to be in charge of their own therapy. And that's the key. That is such a big part of attunement. We don't want to tell them what their goal is because we trust that they can, they know what they want to be able to do that day. They know what they're capable of doing that day. And so we use those models so that they can make the choice. So they're making the active choice to be, to participate. And it's a, it's a motivational strategy. It's being used with people within, um, coaching and executive uh, leadership um, trainings. So it's being used all over with all sorts of people. It's not just being used in special needs. I, I would like to see it used more in healthcare and special needs because right now it's mostly business people who are benefiting from it. <laughs> They're learning how to be better leaders and be more assertive, keep learning, be be a better team player. What do you think is the most misunderstood thing about human system dynamics? It requires people to be interested in human relationships. And it, it's, it provides a concrete way to understand very abstract processes. Some people I don't think are interested in in those kinds of abstract processes. Some people um, it, are, are, are more concrete thinkers. I mean, so I think, I think it is um, a, a profession that is very appealing for people who, who are very, very social and also have good abstract thinking. That, that would be what that I would, would say. Uh, let's say one of our interns or our audience who are viewing this or listening to this want to get into that field. What kind of training do they need? How do you how do you get into that field? What kind of education do you need? Well, Human Systems Dynamics Institute provides lots of training. And um, I went back in the old school days. So it was about uh, it was it was about 2009 as well. And we took three different sessions on site. Now, I think they do it all in line, online, but they do it in what they call communities of practice. Because one of the ideas with human systems dynamics is that it's all deep learning and deep learning is self-motivated. And so a lot of it is conversational. So a lot of what we learn is, uh, it just happens spontaneously in in communities of practice working together. So Human Systems Dynamics Institute has a website. I can give you the link at the end of this. Um, and, and they do trainings and they also do a lot of free one day or two, you know, two hour events. They call them adaptive action labs that just kind of teaches a bit of the basics. And you're intimately involved with them. I've been involved with them, yes, for a long, for a long time. Very, very passionate about, about that. As a matter of fact, I just wrote a blog for their newsletter 
and I, I attributed my mindfulness practice to my ability to use some of their models because I realized that it kept me going. So I started it, started mindfulness meditation in 2004. But then about 15 years ago, I, it became just a daily routine and I just do it every day. And I, I feel like it's because of the models that just kept me moving forward, taking adaptive action, and then at the same time, being reflective, being a reflective learner. So I kept learning from my experiences. Is there anything um, we have not discussed that you would like to discuss? Well, um, I guess the only other thing is just my feeling about where we are with neurodiversity. I mean, I feel like it's taken such a long time for this this concept to catch on. And it's finally, I think people are recognizing it that, I mean, it's, if people get neurodiversity, they get diversity, period. It's just such an important concept. And I think um, there's a lot of peace building potential to it. And um, I, it's, it's something that I think it involves everybody. So that's probably my biggest message that I want to leave with. <laughs> And what are the some of the other diagnoses you work with aside from Alzheimer's and dementia? And give us some of the others. Well, um, I worked with an adult with PTSD who had a history of early life sexual abuse. She was being served by an organization specifically that, that serves that population. The man who was the director of that organization referred her saying, She's really hard to because she's been in and out of the mental health system since childhood. And she's, she came for, for an assessment and her first day there, she said, well, your assessment is like none other I've ever had. Usually the, the therapist is trying to trip me up so they can diagnose me, but you just wanted to get to know me. And um, and so she ended up coming for several months and we made a lot of progress when we had to quit um, seeing when I had to quit seeing her for therapy. I was able to connect back with the man who had referred her and he was so impressed with how much progress that she had made. And what he started doing at that point is he wanted to see if he could figure out a way to create a multi-sensory environment in a van or a, a trailer, a bus to go to a prison system. He and I would still love to do that, but he's not been able to get the money together to do that. That's the kind of thing that could be done. And I think would be very effective um, having a, a travel multi-sensory environment that you can take to places like prisons, um, any place where you would have people with a lot of emotional triggers and PTSD. So that was um, an adult that I worked with. And then again, I've had, I've worked with kids and I, I've actually even worked with adult, adult gifted, young adult gifted population. And um, I just love that population because there's so much you can learn from, from some of these brilliant people on the spectrum <laughs> who are doing impressive things with their lives right now. And, and, you know, this, that's another reason that I think that, that the neurodiversity movement is taking off is so many of those people are voicing now and they're saying, 
well, it, it felt emotionally um, abusive and it, I, I didn't like it when people took my freedom away. And that is one of the reasons why I totally believe that the inquiry-based approach is valuable because we're not taking freedom away. They're, they're deciding what they want to work on. And again, how can people learn more about your work? Well, I do have some publications and on my website, I have some of those publications. So in 2017, I had a published article with a woman um, with dementia in a multisensory environment. And I used lights and I used um, music, her favorite music from early in her life. I worked with two social workers and I was able to show quantitatively that she made a shift from being so unengaged that she was really not responding to anyone unless they were right in front of her and noticing three people moving around the room, noticing somebody left and again, talking about everything going on in the room. So that was a huge shift. So there was quantitatively, I was able to show that, that would not happen by random chance. Um, and it was just that one case study, but I would love to repeat that. And then I have some textbook chapters that I've written for some OT textbooks. And also Dr. Rader, always often often invites me to write for his um, journals that he that he's involved with. So he's edit, he was editor in chief of, um, uh, of of a journal that I wrote some articles for, and then now he is editor in chief of the journal for human exceptionality. Helen and I just wrote an article for that too. I wrote an article on adaptive learning. So I, I talked about use of multi-sensory environments. I talked about use of computers with personalized stories in them for people, you know, if they're having trouble learning a subject, it helps them learn better. Um, I talked about Rubicon's robots for children with autism in that article. So um, I, I write a lot for his journals. Well, you're a busy beaver. Very busy. <laughs> yeah. You love what you do, don't you? I do. I do. Janice Ryan, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, keep up the great work you do. Uh, you know, Dr. Rick Rader is uh, one of my heroes, certainly, and is one of your biggest fans. And uh, let us know what we here at differentbrains.org can do to help you achieve your goals in, uh, you know, multi-sensory environments and, uh, you know, human system dynamics. Been very educational. Thank you. And I hope you'll come back and visit us sometime. Thank you so much. I would love to. I appreciate it, Mikey. Thanks for having me. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.